This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. McDonald's CEO Steve Easterbrook was relieved of his duties on Sunday after it was revealed that a consensual relationship he had with another employee violated company rules. He has been at the helm of the fast food giant for the last four and a half years and was credited with much of the turnaround by McDonald's in the last couple of years, including automated ordering stations and a rebuild of many of the locations. Easterbrook has also resigned his position on the board of directors for Walmart. He joins a list of growing CEOs who have resigned over relationships with employees who are directly under their watch in this Me Too era. McDonald's also announced the departure of Chief People Officer David Fairhurst, head of its Human Resources Department, on Monday. With more, we're going to be joined shortly by Stephanie Creary, Assistant Professor of Management here at the Wharton School. But right now, on the phone with Rebecca Thornley-Gibson, who is a partner at the law firm of DMH Stollard in London. Rebecca, thank you for your time today. Greatly appreciate it. Good morning. Hi. Great. Uh, this obviously is catching a lot of news right now. And as we mentioned, it is part of a, a longer trend with CEOs right now. From the legal perspective, was this the right move by McDonald's? Well, I'm looking at it from the UK legal perspective, and I think it's fairly divided in the UK in terms of some people are saying, well, it was the right thing. There was a standards policy in place. And as the CEO, you should adhere to that standards policy. Um, you need to show consistency and, you know, have integrity with um, the rest of your work colleagues and employees. But some people are also saying it's very harsh because most people at some point may well have a consensual workplace relationship at, um, at work. We spend so much time um, in our workplace that we're meeting people. And I think that, you know, there is a lot of divided opinion. However, McDonald's in the U.S. quite clearly had communicated that standards policy out to everybody. And it's possibly the case that the CEO had not disclosed the relationship. So perhaps the dismissal is more about the, the secrecy aspect than the actual consensual workplace relationship anyway. You mentioned the difference in, in standards uh, there in the UK compared with here in the United States. Take us a little further into what really the standards are there in the UK. And as you kind of alluded to, there is a little bit more leeway, it seems like. Well, I think I think in the UK we have the um, um, we have the Human Rights Act, so it's recognised that there's a right to privacy, a right to family life, and therefore seeking to be overly prescriptive about um, relationships at work is, is, is probably not something that is, um, you know, sort of too too high on the agenda. What is high on the agenda is people's um, people's conduct at work, and if there is something that creates a conflict of interest, such as having a relationship with perhaps someone who is more junior to you, then that that sort of conduct will be looked at. If you have to award somebody a pay rise, if you have to look at their promotion prospects, even things such as work allocation, and you're in a workplace relationship and that hasn't been disclosed to HR perhaps, then it can create a conflict. There will be perceived favoritism um, and bias towards the individual that someone is in a relationship with, and that can create a lot of team tension. So it's very much about being open and transparent and declaring the interest you have in that workplace relationship as opposed to actually 
spanning the workplace relationship, which I think is a much more U.S.-based approach. And so how has that practice in the U.K. seemed to work uh, over over the years for uh, there in that part of the world? Well, we don't have, or there are very few organizations who have what I think the U.S. are called love contracts. Yeah. So if a relationship is disclosed, um, then, you know, in, in, in the U.S., I understand that there would almost be an individual workplace conduct um, contract, which sets out that, yes, this is a consensual relationship. We're going to perform professionally. There's going to be no public displays of affection in the workplace. We're not going to distract colleagues, etc. And where, where there's key decision making, there may, might be somebody else that actually has to get involved in that. Um, in the UK, um, it would be an expectation, perhaps in some companies, that there is a declaration of interest for anything that might be a conflict of interest, whether right. it's a workplace relationship with a colleague on a you know an intimate basis, or whether it's maybe a connection with a supplier that you're doing business with, those conflicts of interest uh, would need to be disclosed um, if they would create or if they could create a problem. Um, I think the problem with declarations of interest, however, are when do you disclose? You know, at what point do you say that we are in a relationship that right. could cause conflict? So is there, in your opinion, from what you see in the UK and compared to, to what it goes on here in the United States, is there more of an understanding of this as an issue in the workplace in the United Kingdom and maybe in other, uh, other parts of the world as well? There's more of an understanding that it's going to occur. And there's more of an understanding that it's inevitable. So practical measures should be put in place to ensure that the risks of that workplace relationship impacting on um, on others and on the organisation are reduced. So um, there will be policies put in place, which are um, um, conduct at work policies, equality and diversity policies, um, sexual harassment policies, and, and obviously in light of the Me Too movement that you mentioned earlier, employers are worried that particularly if a relationship was to go wrong, there there could be allegations that perhaps um, the relationship wasn't as equal as um, the parties had thought. You know, there are concerns about abuse of power. There are concerns that, you know, the wronged party could change the narrative of the relationship. So right. employers look to protect themselves. Um, from potential claims that employees may make alongside the um, um, issues of sexual harassment. But also, you know, you know, somebody in a senior position could also be susceptible to, to bribery if they've had a relationship and if maybe they've disclosed company secrets that they shouldn't have done, confidential and sensitive business information, and the wrong, the, the, um, um, the other party has has received that, mm-hmm. then then there is a potential for, um, you know, some, some, some bribery afterwards. There's potential for corporate reputation issues as well if perhaps clients and suppliers don't like the idea of somebody perhaps at a more senior level having a relationship with a more junior employee. Rebecca, thank you very much for your insight. Rebecca Thornley-Gibson, partner at the law firm of DMH Stollard, uh, based in London. Joined now in studio by Stephanie Curry of here at the Wharton School. Did McDonald's make the right move? I think absolutely for several reasons. 
I think the point that Rebecca just made about the cultural boundedness of this uh, this initiative that McDonald's took on is really important to consider. Here in the U.S., there are stronger norms around separation of personal life from work life. And that doesn't always work out well, I think, for yeah. companies and for employees. But it is a much stronger sense of the need to separate than it is perhaps in other countries. I think that's the first point. The second point is there's a policy, right? There's a yeah. policy that's put in place that said that people who are in a reporting relationship, particularly whether it's a direct reporting relationship or an indirect reporting relationship, they should not be um, in a position to control the rewards of punishment or somebody else who's in a subordinate role in that relationship. And that policy was broken. And that is, for all the reasons that Rebecca set up, uh, put in place to protect lots of people, including the person who is less um, likely to have the power to make uh, decisions over their own uh, well-being in the organization, the person in the subordinate role. Second, this relationship itself is not a peer relationship. They are not on the same level playing field, right? right? right. And we have to acknowledge that in these relationships that in my research we talk about as asymmetric power relationships, there are a lot of there's a lot of subjectivity, there's a lot of ambiguity and there are concerns potentially from team members about fairness, but I think there's also potentially concerns, and we've seen with a lot of these sexual harassment lawsuits, around when the person who's in a less powerful position has a concern about the work relationship. Do they feel confident to be able to speak to the person who's in fact the one that they're in a romantic relationship? Do they feel confident to bring up issues feeling like that there's not going to be retaliation? That's a very real serious issue. And I think the last, again, is the, the larger societal context that we're dealing with right now around sexual misconduct and harassment. And so for all of those reasons, I think McDonald's made absolutely the right choice here. I think it's interesting also is the fact that they, they also removed basically the head of human relations at the company as well, David Fairhurst. And, and it makes you wonder what he, that person knew or did not know about this. Yeah, it's really interesting because I've seen different reports to say that it's related or it's unrelated. I think it'll work itself out in the next couple of days. How? Right. But it's when you fire the head of human resources the day or the head of human resources resigned, whichever way we're talking about it currently, the day after the CEO is let go, you can't help but think that these two things um, are in fact related. There was uh, quite the investigation that I think was done very quickly. So it is clear that the head of human resources who's often involved in disputes of this nature knows about the context here. How, how far in advance they knew, I think remains to be seen. With, with all the issues surrounding harassment that we have seen pop up in, in the workplace, especially over the last few years, it seems like, though, that that this specific case, even though it was a consensual relationship between the two individuals, really does, I think, to a degree, put even a stronger focus on the fact that there are rules in place and there are standards expected from companies that, that these employees are supposed to adhere to. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I think, you know, some other companies have gone so far as to say that no one that you're related to or that you're dating should be working in your same unit because there's even more, I think, fear around concerns around nepotism or lack of fairness or, or mistreatment. But we are talking about the CEO and somebody who reports to them, whether that's indirectly or directly, right. that the CEO makes all of the rules and all of the decisions that the CEO makes would affect this person, right? So you yeah. think about that from a top-down perspective, but we can also think about it from the perspective of that person who is 
in this relationship, what is their clarity around what they can and cannot say about their workplace experience when the in actuality, anything that they're saying is a direct relationship to the CEO's place. So there's a lot of complications here. Well, this is also putting more and more focus on boards of directors and the decisions that they are making. Because I think if you went back Mm -hmm. a few decades, this might have been a situation where it might have been pushed kind of under the carpet. It's not the case anymore because not only are the CEOs responsible, but the boards of members of the boards of directors are responsible as well. Yeah, actually, it's the board that hires and fires the CEO. So they made a quick, swift decision based on the investigation to let him go. He stepped down from his position, obviously, at the same time as a board director at McDonald's. And he actually also resigned from the board of Walmart as well. And I thought that that was really important. And I think at the end of the day, he did admit that this was a lack of judgment on his part and that it was a mistake. It was poor judgment, he's quoted as saying. So it's not that he is fighting this and didn't recognize that there would be a problem here. And I think that's important to to consider here is he admits that this was a really dicey situation that should never have happened. Another element to this is the fact that he is going to be leaving Mr. Easterbrook with a rather healthy severance package. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that I think is a question that has been brought up, especially in, in the wake of of the recession on forward with some of the issues that executives have had in terms of leading a company down the wrong path, or in this case, a harassment or uh, in past harassment, even in this case being a uh, consensual relationship, is the fact that these individuals have it built into their contracts that no matter what happens, basically, they are still going to be able to walk out the door with a significant amount of money. Yeah, so this is still the problem, is even though we see boards of directors being who actually also determine compensation for CEOs, CEOs, we see them being held accountable when something goes wrong. We're not seeing them preemptively en masse understanding that why don't you put something in the contract that says if there's a personal misconduct issue, then you will not be able to take that healthy severance package. So there's not the the same overlap or accountability built into the contract around the severity of these issues. But at least now there's some degree of punishment in terms of losing your job. It's just not a necessarily a financial one. Is it surprising that we haven't seen more companies actually look to put that type of language in the contracts of their executives? I think it's surprising. I think it's coming around the corner. I I think there's been enough discussion about this when we were talking about um, earlier this year when a tech CEO lost his job because of a sexual harassment issue. This was raised then. I think as boards are accepting their responsibility more around issues of sexual misconduct and personal misconduct, this is going to be something that they continue to raise. Stephanie Creary from here at the Wharton School joining me in studio. Thanks, Stephanie. Greatly appreciate your time. Thank you. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.